scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 46, verses 1 through 7. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And then our second reading for the morning is from Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. Do this knowing that the time is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness and promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that as we gather in many locations around the world to listen for your voice today, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Always inviting us, always desiring that we live in union with you and out from the fullness that is your life. And Father, we would confess that at times we're blind to that invitation, but perhaps now more than other times in recent memory, we're aware of that invitation. And so I pray that you'd equip we, your people, to draw near to you in intimacy, Father, that we might find in you shelter in order that we might be people of hope in these amazing days in which we live. We pray this in the name of Christ, who is our hope. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Bethany Globally. We gather today in houses all around the world, all around the city of Seattle and the greater Puget Sound region. It is an incredible privilege to be with you yet again uh, to share this poignant text from Psalm 46 that speaks to this moment in what I hope will be for you a meaningful and powerful way, even as it was uh, for me. I want to begin by uh, sharing when we understand this word, God is our refuge and strength. I want to explain the word refuge to you by telling the kids who are listening a story. And I invite all of you to listen in. Kids, uh, you may or may not know this, but several years ago, I was able to hike through the mountains in Europe called the Alps with my wife for 40 days. And every night at the end of our hike, we would stay in a place that in Europe is called a hut. That's a place uh, where you uh, sleep and it's a kind of a shelter, it's warm, it's comfortable, they provide food. And so as we were hiking through Europe, I tried to pack very light so that I wouldn't have to carry much clothing. And uh, I did pack very light and actually didn't have enough clothing for cold weather. In fact, the piece of clothing that I wore closest to my skin is this piece right here. And this actually is not intended to keep you warm. It's intended to keep you cool. I didn't know that when I bought it, but I found that out. And so imagine I'm wearing a piece of clothing intended to keep me cold, basically. And uh, we get up and we begin hiking one day and it was about 35 degrees, foggy, windy. And then ultimately it started raining as well. And I had this on 
and a very thin layer and a very thin poncho and pretty soon all this rain is seeping in and collecting uh, on this on this shirt and I began shivering and I'm so cold. I've never felt this cold ever in my life. And so we're hiking through the mountains. My wife dressed perfectly, is perfectly warm. I'm shivering. And then as we round a corner, I see in the distance about two or 300 yards away, the flags flapping in the wind of our next hut, the place that we'll be staying that night. I take off and I start running to that hut because I want one thing more than anything else in that moment. I want to be warm. And so I run to the hut. I fling open the door. And then you can see in this picture how glorious it is. As soon as I come inside, that hut brings to me warmth. That hut brings to me kind of a sense of safety. That hut brings to me a sense of security. And then immediately I go change my clothes and then I order this food. Look at this glorious food. Warmth, safety, security, fellowship, food. It's all in the hut. And so very quickly, I'm warm, I'm fed, I'm happy. Before I was cold, I was frightened, and now I'm perfectly content. Here's what's interesting. Uh, all through Europe, these things are called huts, these shelters. But in Italy, the word for a hut is the word refugio from which we get the English word refuge. A refuge is a place of safety. And so what we want to see here when we come to Psalm 46 is God is making this beautiful declaration regarding God's own character through his servant David, as David writes in the Psalms. And we read this at the very beginning. God is our refuge and strength. This is what we want to talk about in our time together this morning. Because the value of Christ as refuge is only actually known in our lives in proportion to the reality that we have experienced storms. Until I experience a storm, until I'm cold, I don't really know Christ as warmth and refuge and safety. So storms have a great value in our lives. And we need to learn to receive storms as the valuable gift that they are, but we don't live in a culture that receives storms very well. In fact, to the contrary, we live in a culture that seeks to deny the reality of storms at all. We hide the realities of death. We hide the realities of aging. We seek to distance ourselves from the realities of relational poverty and financial poverty. We work to convince ourselves that buying and selling will go on endlessly in a cycle of global growth. We're assaulted every day with thousands of messages and images that paint pictures for us of a life free from suffering. Because if you have the right car, the right drug, the right financial advisor, the right exercise program, the right activity, the right clothing, if you have the right stuff, you can be immune from suffering. This is the world we live in. And so uh, we encounter this, this culture that seeks to deny the inevitable reality of storms. And then sometimes, even within the community of Christ followers, we encounter a distorted gospel that says because we're in Christ, we're immune from storms. That Christ suffered so that we don't need to. But here's the thing, friends. In spite of all of this, our living attempt to deny the reality of storms, in spite of that, storms always come anyway. Always. As a result... Times like these, times of storms, can be profoundly disorienting because so little in our culture prepares us for real suffering. 
So that when the illusion of control is stripped away and the honest answer regarding anything related to the future is we don't know, uh, we're stuck. We're not sure how to respond. But that's exactly where we live right now. We don't know. Will the wedding happen in June? We don't know. Will our grandparents uh, survive the onslaught of this virus? We don't know. How about our own health? We don't know. How about our finances? We don't know. How about our employment future? We don't know. What will church look like on the other side of this? We don't know. And in the midst of all the uncertainty that characterizes this time, Psalm 46, more than anything else in the Bible, I believe, offers us hope because it declares with confidence that though there's a great deal that we don't know, there is a great deal that we can know with rock-solid confidence. And so I want to spend some time here today talking about three truths that we can know with certainty. Number one, the truth that God is our refuge. Number two, the truth that God is with us. And number three, the truth that real knowing always comes from experience. These three things can help us through this storm. Please join me as we consider them together. Uh, truth number one. From the text, Psalm 46, God is our refuge. The word refuge literally means a shelter in the midst of storms, as I've already articulated in my opening illustration. But we need to unpack this a little bit because a wrong reading of the word refuge can set us up for disappointment. It would be entirely wrong to read this as a declaration that God wraps Christ's followers in some sort of protective bubble so that no virus can get in. As if there's a virus storm happening in the world, but we're carefree and happy because by virtue of the fact that we're in Christ, the virus can't touch us. No, that's not a proper notion of shelter. In Christ, never equals immunity from suffering, ever. I want to take you to Hebrews uh, chapter 11 just for a moment <clears throat> so that you can see the reality that those who follow Christ suffer. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, is this articulation of some of the most uh, noteworthy people who lived lives of faith in the scriptures. And at the end of this long articulation of stories about those who lived by faith, we read this, the author goes, Listen, by faith there were those who conquered kingdoms and performed acts of righteousness and obtained promises and shut the mouths of lions and quenched the power of fire and escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness they were made strong. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And so you read this and you go, wow, look at what, look at what, look at what these people did. They, they overcame. They conquered. They, they, they surpassed. They, they, they received back from the dead by resurrection. I mean, they lived lives of miraculous overcoming. And then the text goes on and says, and these also were faithful, those who were tortured, those who didn't accept their release, those who were stoned, those who, those who were killed, sawn in two, a reference probably to Isaiah. Those who were put to death with the sword, those who went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering the deserts, wandering the mountains, wandering the caves, living in holes in the ground, hungry, naked, imprisoned, faithful. Yeah, you know, here's the faithful, overcoming, 
and healing and being granted strength. Here's the faithful, living in a hole, living in a desert, hungry, naked, destitute, persecuted. Which camp do you want to belong in? Of course, I want to be over here. <laughs> Here's the thing you don't choose. Sometimes you are over here. Sometimes you are over here. This is faith, all of it. And so when there's a season of storm, it's a season of storm. So what is shelter then if we're not automatically protected from suffering? And I think that the answer is found in Psalm 46 again. But now in Psalm 46 in verse 4, because as we go on, we read this. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. In other words, as we come to this, what we see is that the meaning of shelter here is this. I have at my disposal everything that I need to live in the situation where God has placed me. Whether that is a, is a situation of prosperity or pro, uh, poverty. A situation of sickness or health. A situation of, of, of suffering or triumph. Whatever the situation I have at my disposal, nothing less than the resources of Christ to be in and through me, everything I need in that moment to live as a person of hope and triumph. So when I'm anxious, the river that is Christ becomes a source of peace. When I'm afraid, the river that is Christ becomes a source of courage. When I'm lonely in my social isolation, the river that is Christ becomes a source of companionship for me. When I'm in pain, the river that is Christ becomes a source of comfort. This means that whatever comes our way, the resource of Christ provides a way through. And so then, by virtue of this reality, we come to know now, by experience, all these various aspects of, God, uh, of God's character. And this is very important, and I'll come back to it at the end. But suddenly now, because of anxiety, I know Christ as peace. Because of fear, I know Christ as a source of courage. Because of social isolation, I know Christ as a source of companionship in ways I would never know Christ without the storm. There's a river always available, always at my disposal so that I can draw upon the resources of Christ. This gives me hope. God's our refuge. God's our source. And then the second truth here, God is not only our refuge, but the second truth found in Psalm 46 is this, God is with us. Look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And then that same exact phrase is articulated in verse 11 as the concluding statement of Psalm 46. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And so I want to kind of unpack this so that we understand here when we read this, God is with us. What are we reading? And here's what we see. The God who is with us is here called the Lord of hosts. I want to just articulate for you um, the beauty of that phrase. When the word Lord appears in your Bible in all caps, right? The word Lord is used as God's name. And what it's intended to evoke in the reader is the character quality of God as the one who's personally involved in our lives. The name God uh, is used in the creation narrative in Genesis 1, and that's God, G-O-D. 
and that word in the Hebrew is Elohim, and that's that's a revelation intended to invoke and uh, intended to evoke in us this notion that God is all powerful. God speaks. And the, wor- the, the universe exists. God says, let there be light. Boom, there's light. God separates the light uh, and, and the darkness, the, the earth and the sea, the heavens and the land. God's, God does this. God is powerful, Genesis chapter 1. And then we come to Genesis chapter 2 and we see the creation of humanity. And we read that uh, in Genesis chapter 2, it's not the word Elohim that is used uh, to describe the character of God, all powerful, but the word Lord in all caps, Yahweh, Jehovah, however you want to say it. And this name is a name uh, that implies God's character is intimate and caring and promise keeping. God is with you. Significant intimately with you in the midst of whatever you're facing. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says it this way. When you walk through the waters, I, the Lord, Jehovah, I will be with you. I'll be with you wherever you go. And this evokes a picture of God as ever present. Really good news. Whether we're aware of God's presence or not, that's a thing. (laughs) Whether we believe in God's presence or not, that's a thing. Whether we're willing willing to appropriate the gift of God's companionship in the midst of our suffering, these are questions. But whether you believe it or not, whether you appropriate it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, doesn't change the truth. God is with you. The reality of God's presence, absolute truth. Remember uh, when uh, God is speaking with Joseph, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, uh, and he's articulating to Joseph, go ahead and and, uh, marry Mary, who's pregnant, because she will give birth to a son. And then we're told his name shall be called, Matthew 1, 23, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Psalm 46, the Lord of hosts is is ever present with us. Where can I go, Psalm 139, to run from God's presence? I have nowhere. <laughs> I, I can go to the far corner of the earth. God is there. I can run from God wherever I go. You want to run? Go run. God will be there waiting. Always with us. So uh, this is significant. And what this means for us by way of application, friends, is right now, this is a moment of opportunity. We all know what Gandalf says. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time we've been given. And let's face it, the time we've been given right now, it's a time of self-isolation. And I'm here to say that this time of self-isolation and self-distancing is an opportunity to discover the reality that God is with you, to discover the reality of companionship with Christ. I'm in my fifth week of isolation. I was alone for three weeks teaching in Europe, but actually not really alone because I was teaching. But now, though, I'm well into my second week having come back from Europe, I'm well into my second week of total isolation because I was in close contact with people who have the virus. And so I wake up alone. I work alone. I exercise alone. I eat alone. I pray alone. I clean alone. I sleep alone. I am alone. (laughs) What do we do with this time of isolation we've been given? Well, you have options. 
You've got to squander your time of isolation on trivialities. Uh, you can, you know, watch a bunch of Netflix if you want. I'm basically done with that. You can uh, fixate on the news cycle. I'm done with that too, because that only, for me, only gives birth to anger and fear and frustration and cynicism. The best thing I can do with the time that I've been given is to lean into companionship with Christ so that I know existentially, experientially, I know this, that God is with me and therefore, though I'm self-isolated, I'm what? Not ever alone. Wow, that's good news. So for me, the best option has been to lean into companionship with Christ. And the best way you lean into companionship with Christ is you make a schedule. I get up in the morning, it's coffee with God, and then it's meditation, and then it's physical therapy, and then it's off to work with study or meetings. And then it's a little bit of a break with a little more exercise, and then it's some more study and meetings. And, 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 and then it's some pastoral care, and then it's a writing project, and then it's a, a time of prayer. All the while, leaning into the presence of Christ because of my morning meditation and coffee with God, I'm continually reminded at kind of this low level beneath the, the surface level of activity, I know underneath God is with me, companionship with Christ. So what we'd like to do here at Bethany is give you some tools in the days ahead to lean into companionship with Christ as an ever greater reality in your life so that you can know now in your experience, God is with you all the time, 24-7, at Amazon, at Swedish, at UW, at uh, the television station where you work, at the accounting office where you work, at home. When you're with people, when you're alone, God is always with you. You can know that in a new and deeper way by utilizing this time. So rather than fighting the time of self-isolation, let's lean into it and develop the spiritual disciplines of prayer and meditation and service during this season. Uh, starting tomorrow, you can join us in a daily live prayer time offered from one of our ministry leaders, and uh, we'll be doing this on Facebook Live, but for those who can't make it live, it'll be available afterwards. And each week we'll be dealing with a theme in this gathered prayer time. And the first week, the theme is gonna be solitude. Very poignant and appropriate right now. So what you can do is text the word daily to 64600, and you'll be directed to our global monastery resources, which will include a daily time of prayer, uh, in which you'll be able to join others around the world. And this can change the course of our lives in every way, spirit and soul and body forever, as we enter into spiritual practices more intentionally. There's no better time in our lifetime to learn spiritual disciplines than this time right now. And I would just say that for me personally, companionship with Christ is the single greatest benefit of my faith. My adoption story, uh, the story of my dad dying when I was 17, the death of my sister when she was only in her early 40s, all of these stories of loss in my life combined to not only make me lonely, but to make me somewhat fearful of intimacy with others. Out of a fear that I'd lose someone uh, that I was loving. But in the pain of my loss and all the loneliness that came with that loss, someone cast a vision that a life of intimacy with my creator could be possible. That happened uh, for me in 1976 
uh, when a man was speaking on Jeremiah 9, verses 23 to 27, an entire weekend in a ski retreat. Uh, the verses which read this way, don't let the wise man boast of his wisdom. Don't let the mighty man boast of his might. Don't let the strong man boast of his strength. If any man would ever boast, let him boast only in this one thing, that he knows the Lord. Wow. I knew in that moment that I was made for intimacy with my creator. It was an invitation, signed, sealed, delivered personally to my heart. And I responded that night, went out of the snow, got down on my knees, prayed. I said, God, I want to know you. I don't even, what, I don't even know what that means, but I want to know you. I want to know you by experience. I don't want you, God, to be a theory, to be a system, to be an ism, to be a, like a, a, a political construct. I want intimacy. <laughs> Yeah, that changed everything for me. Yeah, I want to make this the main thing, knowing God. And I'll say to you, it has been the main thing for me. Not perfectly, but it, knowing God is the north star to which I return every time I feel lost and hopeless. Every time. What makes this companionship with Christ so beautiful is that the Lord as our companion, Christ as our companion, is called in this text, a stronghold. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So that's a great word, this word uh, stronghold, because it means that this companionship can never be taken from you. The mountains can fall into the sea, the stock market can fall off of a cliff. The people you love can be uh, uh, taken away into isolation. Uh, if you're married, unless you fall in a crevasse together, odds are one of you will die first. Your spouse will be taken from you. Your church will change. Nations will rise and fall. Like in a world that's so tenuous... Is there anything we can hang on to? Here's the answer. Yes, Christ. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves can never break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. No one can take ever from you intimacy with Christ. It's available 24-7. And if your treasure is companion with Christ, you have a bomb-proof investment, people. A stronghold. This is the verse that's articulated twice in this passage. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. There it is in verse 7. There it is in verse 11. As if God is saying to us, pay attention. I'm telling you, you'll need this stronghold. And if I could wish one thing on you, it would be that you would know in your experience companionship with Christ. So that's the second truth. And the final truth is this. Real knowing comes from experience. My Bible uh, says here in uh, verse 10, cease striving and know that I'm God. And, and uh, other versions read this way. Be still and know that I'm God. Maybe my favorite, um, maybe my favorite articulation is this. Stop fighting and know that I'm God. I remember one point in my life, 
being on a hike and having run out of water, I, I hiked up to the base of a, a, the Mount Baker Glacier where I thought there'd be a stream and there was no stream. It was a low snow year. There was less water in the Cascades and I'm worried and I'm thirsty. And my daughter's with me. It's her kind of rite of passage. It's her 16th birthday or whatever. And as I'm sitting there, just listening, I hear the trickle of a stream and I began hiking up this rock field until I found the stream. And then the stream, as I followed it up, became uh, this gushing water coming out of the glacier. But I had to stop and listen before I could tune in to finding the source. Once we quiet our hearts, like turn the TV off, turn the music off, turn the news off, Turn the social media off. Once we quiet our hearts and lean into companionship with Christ, I'm telling you this, friends, you come to experience intimacy with Jesus. And Christ becomes for you a real shelter. We're anxious. And when we're anxious, if we quiet our hearts and pray, and we simply say, God, I'm anxious. I receive your peace. Thank you. Everything changes. We're afraid. So we quiet our hearts and we pray. Jesus, I'm afraid. I receive your courage. Thank you. We're lonely in our self-isolation. And so in our loneliness, we quiet our hearts and we pray. God, I, I receive your companionship. I'm lonely. I receive your companionship. Thank you. We're doubting. And so we quiet our hearts and pray. God, I'm filled with doubt right now. Doubt about the future. Doubt about my own capacity to make it through. Doubt about my own faith. Uh, so God, I'm doubting. I receive your faith. Thank you. Do you see what's happening when we do this? We're putting on Christ like never before. No matter how inadequate you may feel, one devotional author writes, you can always look to me for help. You don't need to go to a special place or assume a certain posture to seek my face. You don't need to use elegant language to work to win my favor. I always look favorably upon you because I see you clothed in me. I'm alive in you. I understand your thoughts perfectly. So a simple glance to me made in faith is enough to connect you to my help. Don't waste energy trying to determine whether your resources are adequate for the day. Don't keep, keep checking your power gauge instead of looking to me for my provision. Put on Christ. I mean, that's the invitation. So do you see what's happening? Precisely because we're afraid, we put on the courage of Christ. Precisely because we're lonely, we put on the companionship of Christ. Precisely because we doubt, we put on the faith of Christ. Because of the experience that leads to loneliness and fear and doubt, we put on Christ. We now know by experience the reality of intimacy with Christ in a way that we would never have known without the trial. Do you see what a gift this is? Comfortable? No. Chosen? No. Would ever want it? No. But the point is God uses it. God in God's amazing wisdom uses the darkest moments to create the deepest intimacy. That is incredible. I told you uh, that when we hiked through the Alps, I had this, this shirt that was completely inadequate. 
And because it was inadequate, I needed to find a shelter. Uh, You know, shortly after our trip ended, I bought this. This coat is water resistant and uh, I'm going to see if I can put it on here with the microphone also on. This coat is water resistant and inside this coat, underneath the blue fabric, there's wool. A lot, there's a lot of wool. This coat is a shelter. And so, because it's stuffed with wool, I carry it with me now on every outing in the back in the back country. And as a result, I don't need a refugio. I don't need a hut. I don't need a, a wood stove and a fire and lasagna to be warm. All I need is this jacket. I now have this shelter available 24-7. Just by putting it on, I'm warmed and strengthened. I wear it skiing, and I can be, it can be 15 degrees outside, and I'm skiing downhill at 50 miles an hour with the wind in my face. I'm perfectly warm. Why? Shelter. Enough. Uh, why is this significant? Let me read again now in the message what I read earlier from Romans chapter 13. Make sure you don't get absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day obligations, so much so that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious to God. The night's over. Dawn's about to break. Wake up to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. We can't now afford to waste a minute. We don't want to squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, sleeping around, dissipation, bickering, grabbing everything in sight. No, get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. (laughs) This is the habit. Daily, put on Christ. And if you put on Christ, this is my promise to you. You have a shelter. And if you have a shelter, fear is gone. Anxiety is gone. Not, Not perfectly, but we're moving toward, you know, peace and confidence and hope and mercy. So I not only have a shelter now, I can be a shelter. Join me in the daily prayer of putting on Christ as you sign up for our global monastery ministry. Join me in leaning into the companionship found in Christ. Join me in the pursuit of being warm enough and fed enough and secure enough in Christ to be a person of hope in the midst of the storm. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you use times of disorientation and disorder to bring to us a whole new way of knowing, a knowing rooted in intimacy and experience. We would confess, Father, that we've lived much of our lives uh, essentially naked, looking for the shelter of financial security, the shelter of uh, frivolous companionship, the shelter of a packed schedule. All the while, the shelter of Christ available. Well, right now, Father, you're the only shelter available. And so teach us 
to be clothed in Christ. And we'll thank you for the healing and intimacy and adventure that awaits as we follow you. Praying in the name of Christ, who is our hope.